So Lord, we just want to come before you tonight again, and uh, Lord, first we just want to say thanks. Um, thank you that you have been so gracious to us over the course of these last nine weeks, and uh, we just pray tonight as we really look back at some of the strongest content, we just pray, Lord, that you would drive home some truths for us. We pray that maybe one of the several things that we'll look at tonight would really resonate in us and would um, help us to lead a, a cool change um, in our own homes, and we would be able then to push our children more towards you and uh, be a effective in that and encourage them in their walk with Christ. So Lord, would you do a work inside of us? And uh, we thank you again for this time in this place. So we pray in your name. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, tonight what we're going to do is we took the content from not just this semester, but from last semester as well. And we've really tried to boil it down to what are the key things. And um, I'll tell you what, this was a really hard job because uh, I was going through different things and I was like, oh, that's really important. And oh, that was, you know, that was important too. And so we're going to look at the different, some of the different guest speakers we had. We're going to show a couple different uh, short videos to you. Um, but again, what we want to do is to say, okay, we had 18 total weeks. What was some of the best things that we would take away? And you might not take away all the, the notes that you'll take down tonight, but if, boy, if you left with two or three things that you said, oh, that was a gem that I didn't want to forget. I'm glad I got reminded of that tonight. That's, that would be the win for tonight. Okay, so let's dive right in. Um, the first one is this. You can write these down. Um, it's this. Here it is. This is one of the very first uh, weeks of D6. We said this, as a parent, I am the most strategic influencer in the lives of my kids. Particularly, you could write there, on the spiritual front. As a parent, I am the, the most strategic influencer into the lives of my kids. Uh, we say this a lot around here. Parents are the primary disciplers. So we want parents to think, okay, not the church's job to raise my kids up to know and love Christ, but it's my job to do everything I can because God has called me and God has given me this unique blessing and privilege um, and really responsibility to lead my kids. Um, our theme verse, the, the, the verse we named this ministry after is Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 um, through 8. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then here's like the how-to. Moses is like, okay, if you're going to leave a spiritual legacy that's going to go past you and on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, and that's our desire, that we're not just raising up a single generation, but we're going to leave a legacy of faith, he says this. Here's what I want you to do. He says, impress them on your children, the things of God, the, the words of God. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what Moses was saying is that, hey, I just want you to be incredibly, I want you to be incredibly intentional. Um, and we, as D6, were saying, hey, this, as parents, this was written straight to parents, by the way, this wasn't to this wasn't the pastors or the priests or anybody else. This was, right, Moses was talking to parents, and he's saying, if we're going to leave a legacy of faith, it's got to start at home. So um, first point, as a parent, I am the most strategic uh, influencer in the lives of my kids on the spiritual front. Okay, uh, number two, here it is. Uh, deciding what matters most determines the target of your intentionality. You might remember that week, we, um, we looked at a passage in Joshua chapter 24, an amazing passage of scripture, and Joshua's at the end of his life, and I mean, it's like this grandfather, I mean, you know, uh, if you had someone in your life, a, a grandfather figure that you so highly respected, and imagine they're at the end of their days, well, Joshua's not at the end of his days, but he's standing before all of these thousands and thousands of people that he's leading, and he says this to them, this is um, such a powerful chapter, um, verse 14, 
He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of our forefathers, worship beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But then he says this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of our forefathers that they served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he sort of draws a line in the sand. And you just picture this old guy that's been leading faithfully. He says, hey, but as for me and my household, we are gonna serve the Lord. And what we said with that one was this. We said, deciding what matters most. What he was saying there is, I'm at the end of my days, and what matters most is that the next generation would serve the Lord. And what we said that night is when we decide what matters most, that determines the target of our intentionality. So if what matters most is raising Michael Jordan, then we've got to do everything we can to raise up a great basketball player. We've got to. I mean, it would only make sense to. But if our number one goal is we want our children to know and to love Jesus Christ, we want to take care of not only their lives here, but for all of eternity, then we said that then when we determine what's most important, it will determine um, what we're intentional about. So deciding what matters most determines the target of our intentionality. So we asked the question that night, what's most important? And we just said, hey, let's just settle that right away. If it's to raise a Michael Jordan, then we know the path we gotta go. But if it's to raise a follower of Christ, then that's gonna determine how we, um, how we parent and the things that we give our time and attention to. Nothing wrong with basketball. Excited for match, Martinus, match March Madness, anybody? Yeah, all right. Okay, let's keep going. The next week we had, or not the next week, but another highlight week, we had um, Boomer Roland come, and he talked about teachable moments. You might remember that. Um, he talked about connecting faith with real life. And so take a look at this video. It kind of sums up uh, his talk. Hey, D6 families. This is Boomer Roland with Parent the Heart. So glad to be able to connect with you this semester. Hey, Teachable moments are all around us. They happen all through our day, in the mornings and in the evenings and in all through the middle. But you know what? Life sometimes gets in the way and we forget to see the opportunities that are all around us to connect faith with real life. But you know what? There are three keys to being able to see those teachable moments and take advantage of them. The first key is to take your kids with you. Next time that you're running an errand, grab one of the kids and take them with you. And in that time together, the opportunities will show themselves for you to connect real life to real faith. The second key, always be ready. That means be thinking ahead. What character traits do I need to develop in my kids? It means thinking through what questions do I wanna ask them? What am I curious about and what are my kids thinking about? If you're ready to ask those questions and to start those conversations, you'll be able to do the third key, which is to make the most of every minute. You know what? Teachable moments are fleeting. They don't last long, but we can take advantage of the time that we do have if we're ready and if we're with our kids. Thanks so much for letting me connect with you this semester. Awesome. So if you missed those, those the three things, there they are. Um, Boomer said this. He said... Uh, uh, take your kids with you. Just a very simple, very practical thing we can all do. He said, um, always be ready. And then the la his last point was make the most of every minute. Uh, make the most of every minute. So take your kids with you. Always be ready and make the most of every minute. Again, our hope tonight is that you'll walk away two, three things that you just go, I forgot about that. And yeah, that, that's a gem for me. Okay, uh, next one is this. If you're taking notes, write this one down. 
Uh, this was a cool week. This was, you might remember we had Amy and Jeff Kieser here that night, uh, and uh, we said this, when times of discouragement come, not if, but when, when times of discouragement come, remember that God cares for you. Uh, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 that night, and uh, we said, cast, it, it says this, cast, your anxiety, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Not cast some, but cast all. And um, if you've been a parent for I would say oh, maybe 15 seconds or so, you, you realize that there's gonna be some anxiety with parenting, right? It's, it's, um, it's hard, you go through challenges, times when you're just like, wow, my kids are making me cry, you know? <laughs> and, uh, um, but it's just parenting is, is, is tough. And so what we talked about that night was, remember when you're going through parenting that God cares for you, he's not distant. He loves you and he cares about you. He's commissioned you to do the job that he's entrusted you with and he cares about you along the journey. So that was our, our takeaway that night. Okay, next one. Here it is. It says, none of us are, uh, none of us are perfect parents, uh, but, we are all, but we all can be praying parents. One of our values here at D6 with our parents is that, that we have no perfect parents. We said that on the very front end. We said we have four values, and one of them is no perfect parents. So if that's you, come on up and teach, because um, I'll sit down quickly, because I'm not the perfect one at all. And we said this, we we aren't perfect parents, but what we can be is parents that go before the Lord and we pray for our kids. Uh, James chapter 5 verse 16 says that the prayer of a righteous man or righteous woman is powerful and effective. And so when we go before the Lord and we say, God, I can't do this or I don't know what to do in this situation, that's powerful. Um, uh, sometimes we'll say, I've said this, say this maybe often even, well, I'll just pray. Well, that's not a just, right? I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, um, when you pray for your kids on a regular basis, it's powerful. Um, so we had some, some folks up here that night that, that talked about that and shared about that. Also, I want you to know, too, these talks are available online. Um, the sound quality kind of comes and goes on a couple of them, um, but it's, it's pretty good uh, throughout. So if you want to catch the full content of these, you can go back, too. And, and we're not going to cover every, every week by any means tonight. So, okay, so none of us are perfect parents, but we can all be praying parents. Next one, here it is. You are at your best when you rest. You are at your best when you rest. You might remember we talked that night about the Sabbath and uh, this whole idea that sounds sort of foreign to us as Americans, um, this whole idea of rest. But we asked the question, what is the pace at which my family's running right now? Um, is it a healthy pace? Uh, when I look at the lives of my kids, are my kids running so fast, they're going from here to there to here to there, that nobody has any breathing room? And what we looked at was in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The Lord said this. He said, remember the Sabbath day by, uh, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you. Um, and then he just kind of goes through the list. And he says, for six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. It should be a Sabbath to you. Um, and so we said, hey, God, what does he do? God, like, puts this gift right on our lap, and he says, I want you to work your tails off for six days of the week, but on the seventh day, I want you to have a rhythm in your life where you rest. Um, so we talked about what does that look like for your family to slow down for one day of the week and just to take a break? Um, what does that do for your kids? What does that do for your worship of God, for your perspective on life and, and all sorts of things? So, um, so again, asking the question, what's the pace that we're running at? Knowing we'll be at our best as parents and as followers of Christ when we say, Phew. I'm gonna have some breathing room in my life and, and we're gonna we're gonna rest. 
Okay, the next thing uh, I want to share is uh, we had Stephen Becky up here. You might remember that. We had an interview with our lead pastor and his wife, and um, it was a, a really fun night. And um, two points I want to give you from, from their talk. Here they are. Number one, resolve conflict quickly. Some of you are smiling because uh, Steve's main point was have lots of sex. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. All right. But these are the other two points that were covered that night. Resolve conflict quickly. And then number two, take time to build the relationship. And so uh, Becky made this point. I thought it was so sharp. She just said, you know, over the years we've just said, don't let conflict fester. Um, when the seed of conflict gets in there, deal with it right away. Uh, Steve told this story about, he said, man, one night I remember it was like one in the morning and I just was, had this thought in my mind of don't, you know, don't go to sleep until you've worked it out. And the, the, this mentor of theirs had told them that. And he was like, I just want to go to sleep. So finally he was like, Becky, I'm sorry, you know. And anyway, told this great uh, story about that. But resolve conflict quickly. Don't let it fester. Number two was um, take time to build into the relationship. They said invest in it. They said, don't stop getting to know each other. He said, stay fresh mentally, um, physically, emotionally, all that. He said, um, uh, keep working, keep investing in yourself, keep investing um, in the person that you're married to if you're married, okay? So that was that, was that night. Um, we had Lorinda Cantoya uh, uh, up here, uh, phenomenal. I think a uh, great, great night, ton of good content. I want to give you three things that she talked about. Um, here they are. Number one. She said this, and I thought this was, I went back, re-listened to part of her talk today, and uh, this, uh, these three really stood out to me. The first one was this. She said, I had to keep reminding myself that I was programming the little computer, or, or the computer, with little things. So, for instance, she said, when I catch my kids fighting, she had two boys, she was a single mom, uh, two boys, uh, grown up now. Um, she said, I catch them fighting, and instead of uh, saying, man, you kids always fight. She said, I would act surprised um, because I knew I was, again, programming their little computer. She said, so I would say to them, whoa, guys, I can't believe you're not getting along. This is so surprising to me. What, what's going on? And then she would work that through with them. Um, a couple other things that were just gems that night. Um, she said she put up pictures around the house of her two boys when they were getting along, right? Pictures when they were just, it was evident, they were happy to be together. What a great idea. She put them in places where the kids could continually see them. Uh, I thought this was a huge one. If you got young kids, which most of you do, um, and maybe some olders as well, but um, they, she had them say goodnight to each other with a hug every night. Now, she told me a story uh, that happened this last Christmas. She said, so she's, she's married now to, to Chuck, and she said, I wanted to see what Christmas was like through the eyes of Chuck, our very first Christmas together. And she said, it was amazing because after every time our boy, my boys would give each other a gift, and these two boys are opposite each other, as you might have remember her saying, she said they would stand up and say, man, thanks, brother, and they would give each other a hug. And Chuck said later, he was like, that was interesting, the, like the first time, but like the sixth gift, it was like... <laughs> wow, there's really something here. And I'll tell you what, these boys who couldn't be any different than each other, they love each other. But it was some of these intentional things that she did. Um, remember she said that, that she had a birthday spot, right? So there was the, the kid that had a, you know, let's say it was my birthday. She would also have a spot right at the table for my brother or my sister. So all the friends knew, hey, who's second most important here? It's the, the sibling, right? And so she was constantly building in to these, um, to these brother and sister relationships. Um, the next thing that was big for her was this. She said, determine the value or the heart issue you're after. 
determine the value or the heart issue you're after. Uh, talking about there were times when she had to overlook certain things, and then there were times where she had to really drill down and say, you know what, the heart issue behind the behavior is what's really important for me to go after. For instance, she told this story about, she said, you know, I've got two teenage sons, single mom, I'm working a lot of hours, I'm having a hard time getting by. She said, my oldest son's got friends coming over, eating all the food. My youngest son's going, hey, we're running out of food, quit eating my food. And she said, so I had to go pull the, the youngest one aside, though I sided with him mentally, even, and I'm saying, yeah, he's got to quit eating our food. She said, you know what? We want our house to be a house that is welcoming. That's the bottom line. And so we're okay with that guy eating our food, that young man, right? So she had to say, what's the value I want to teach my kid beyond this little behavior issue? So again, she encouraged us, determine the values that we want to see and then try to figure out how to cultivate those, okay? Next thing, third thing from her, she said, swap out the goal. I loved this. She said, swap out the goal, meaning this, it's not all about the kids. And this was her encouragement to us as a group. (laughs) She said, God calls us to faithfulness, not success. Think about that. God calls us to faithfulness, not success. She followed it by saying, stay in the game, parents. Don't give up. When things get hard, remember, it's not about the outcome so much, but it's about what's the process that God's called not my kid to, but me to. Um, I'll be honest with you. There have been a couple times since her talk where I've been tempted to not interact with a child that needed some correction or whatever. I've been tempted just to go, oh, not right now. But then just to think, no, no, stay in the game, right? Um, God calls us to be us, to be, to be faithful, um, and then lastly, you don't have to jot this down, but I love just her dependence on God. Um, I was you know, working here when she was going through those tough, tough, tough years. And um, she would constantly say that. She would say, well, I'm just, I'm just praying. And then she would say all the time, I could just hear Lorinda say this, I'm relying on God for that one. I'm relying on God. And her, she was kind of like, my hands are up and I'm just, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm just relying on God for that one. Um, so anyway, just uh, that was a, a gem. Okay, for the next one, we, I'm going to show you three parts of this if we have time, and I think we will. Um, uh, we'll, teach, we'll do one point in between uh, uh, two of these segments. But I want to show you this first clip right now. Uh, you might remember we uh, looked at Andy and Sandra Stanley. Um, Andy Stanley is pastor of a church in Atlanta. Um, but just, man, I tell you what, he's written some books that are just very practical, very helpful for parents. We showed uh, these two videos first semester and um, uh, got a ton of good feedback from them. So I wanted to show you just some of the, the best parts of those. So yeah, take a, a look at this first clip. This one's just three well, from the right. From the very beginning, Andy established two commandments in our home for our kids. And um, we, I, I thought these were great commandments. The first one was, um, <laughs> great look. the first one was, thou shalt not lie and thou shalt honor your mother. And I particularly love that second one. And the way that looks like, just a little example of the way that looks in our home is our boys have to stand at the dinner table until I'm seated every time, breakfast, lunch, dinner, wherever we are, they have to stand at the dinner table until I'm seated. And also until Allie is seated. And um, usually I'm the last one to the table, but they have to stand there. And it's just, that's just a little picture of something that they do. It spills over into the way they speak to me, the way they show me respect um, and and the way they respect Allie. And nothing makes Andy matter than for um, any of our kids to be disrespectful to me. 
And one of the reasons this was such a big deal is my dad taught me that the way I treat my mom will probably be reflected in the way that I treat my wife. So I learned that from them. And so when we had kids, I thought, I, I think that's true. So I wanted my sons to learn early to respect their mother, their sister, but just women in general. And then also what this has done, hopefully, is I want the bar to be so high for my daughter that she is so accustomed to being respected and shown deference that if she's ever in an environment where she's not, that, that she will be unaccustomed to that, that that will be an unusual thing, that that would wave a red flag for her. So this has been a big, big deal, almost to a fault. Um, you know, thou shalt honor thy mother or thou shalt live somewhere else. You know, it's kind of been our... Um, <laughs> kind of been our thing. That's right. That's right. And men, if you teach your kids to do this, if you require your kids to show your wife respect and, and honor her, they probably are going to show that same respect and honor to you. If you don't model it, but you tell them to do it again, you know, you're not going to see that as a result with your wife. And, and a little side note for, for those of you guys, little, little information for you. If you, if your wife feels this honored and cherished in your family, you become the hero. I mean, if, she, if you are her champion and you're making your, your kids respect her and honor her that way and she feels that, you're gonna be the hero and it is good to be the hero. Just saying. Wow, yeah, amen. Okay, um, <laughs> thou shalt not lie. Now here's why we loaded up on this. This was such a big deal in our family for years and years and years. In fact, if you still ask my kids, I would say the worst thing you can do is tell a lie. The worst thing you can do is tell a lie. The worst thing you can do is tell a lie because lying breaks the relationship. We can, we can get through any kind of disobedience. We can even work, navigate through, you know, disrespecting mom. You know, we can get through everything as long as everybody tells the truth. But if you lie, you break the relationship. So for years, even probably too early, you know, if, you, if I said to my kids, okay, what's the worst thing you can do? Tell a lie. You, I just, just ingrained that in them. And then one day we're driving down the road, the boys in the back seat, too young to be in the front seat. So they were, they were little. And um, Andrew, our oldest, who's the thinker, you know, kind of focused one, he said, Dad, I think I know something that's worse than telling a lie. I said, well, no, Andrew, the worst thing you can do is tell a lie. No, I know something worse. I said, what? He said, worship the devil. <laughs> I said, okay, that's probably worse than telling a lie. So we, then we had like three thou shalt not. Thou shalt not worship the devil. Thou shalt not lie. And thou shalt honor um, your mother. So anyway. All right. Awesome. Good points, huh? Three good points. Okay, next one. I'm going to take about 30 seconds on this one. Here it is. Don't be a fake. Have authentic faith. We talked that whole night about this whole idea of what does it mean for us to model a true relationship with Christ. I'm just going to give you the reference. I'm not even going to turn there, but it's John chapter 15. Uh, John 15, verse 4. You might check it out later, but it's the whole idea of when we remain in Christ, that's when our lives show that we bear fruit, that we're connected to Christ. And so we just said how important it is for us not to go home and say, hey, do it. You know, do as I say, not as I do. We want to be families that we say, wow, do as I do. And uh, so we said, don't be a fake, have really authentic faith. Okay, take a look back at the screens uh, for uh, this next one. This is three minutes as well. Years, we've talked about this before. The two biggest factors that I think shape our soul as human beings are the massive doses of rejection and acceptance that we receive. Um, you are who you are, I am who I am to a great extent because of the acceptance and the rejection, the love and rejection um, that, that I face and that you face. And as we know, this begins at home. 
This begins at home, and to some extent, who you are as an adult is a combination of the different doses of rejection and acceptance that you received as a child. It just shapes our soul. In some ways, it almost shapes our personality. It certainly shapes our response um, to different data points in life. And we think that there are two things in the home that most inform these things. And, and one are the words that we use, and number two is the schedule that we choose. The words that we use, the schedule that we choose. And so one of the things that we've tried to do, and not always successfully, in fact, I'd back up and say this, my greatest regrets, my greatest regrets as a parent have nothing to do with disciplining, have nothing to do with rules. My greatest regrets, there are words I wish had never come out of my mouth. And they were true. Everything I said was true. But under the, with the excuse of it's true, I rejected my children. In fact, I can remember, as many of you can remember, things that came out of our parents' mouth <laughs> and they weren't the things when they said, now son, never forget. We forgot all those, didn't we? Never forget. It's like we have no idea what they were. What we remember, what we remember are those words that went into this category. They just cut like a knife and they may have been true. So my greatest regrets are around that. So backing up, you know, as this began to dawn on me, just telling my kids what's true, that, that's not even the right best thing to do, um, to begin to think of what is it my kids need to hear and what is it they should never hear from me and to be intentional. In fact, one I guess my bottom line advice is this, is simply to decide ahead of time, which is, this is not intuitive, to decide ahead of time what they need to hear and then say it 10 times more than you think they need to hear it. To decide because you're smart people, you know this, you can figure this out if you're not in the moment. What is it my daughter needs to hear from me as a father? What is it my son needs to hear from, from his mother? What is it our children need to hear? Decide, you know the answer to that question. And then just decide, I'm gonna say it about 10 times more then they need to hear it. Because words are one of the most powerful things when it comes to communicating enormous exception or, or acceptance or rejection. You know, it goes one way or the other. Okay, awesome. Um, so that might be for your daughters. You might say, wow, I, my daughter needs to hear from a dad over and over. You are the most beautiful young little girl in the world. Uh, your son might need to hear over and over, I am so proud of you. You're my champion. You are a young man of God. Whatever those things that you decide, um, I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I trust you. I love you. Jesus loves you most. That's my five. Um, over and over and over. Try to do them every single day. Um, so what are those things? And repeat them, repeat them, repeat them. Okay, I want to take the next 10 minutes and show you the last clip from Stanley's video. Um, it was all on discipline. And I think it's so, it was so helpful, for, particularly for, um, uh, for parents that have kids our ages. So, um, so yeah, take a look at this one. It's about 10 minutes. Okay, um, real switching gears without a clutch. I wanna talk about discipline real quick. Um, this is a huge thing. We're gonna talk about some specifics and some middle school, high school year kind of things when it comes to discipline. But here's, here's the thing. For those of you who are afraid of your kids or will be afraid of your kids, and if you don't have kids, you think, I'll never fear my kids. Yes, you will. At some point, we all fear <laughs> our kids, okay? You are afraid your kids won't like you, okay? But here's the deal. They may not like you now, but they will like you later. And here's a, a brilliant insight. It's amazing I came up with this all by myself. Later is longer, okay? Later is longer. You want them to like you later, and later is longer than right now. And so the whole discipline thing is absolutely huge. When we first had kids, we, this is an area where we sat down with so many people and said, tell us what you've learned, tell us what you've seen. And that combined with watching a lot of parents when we did, worked in high school and middle school ministry, watching a lot of parents lose their kids over the discipline issue. I mean, 
just, we saw them trying to do the right thing. We saw parents saying the right thing, but the way they did it, they just shoved their kids out of their lives. And so we were so afraid of doing that the wrong way. We just were sponges when it came to learning from other people. So here's something, Sandra's gonna share something we learned early on that made a huge difference all the way through high school years. We, he's right, we were sponges. We read everything. We did small group, group curriculum about parenting and we interviewed other parents. And, and there was one particular couple that, that shared something with us that we thought was huge. They broke down parenting into four stages. And the first stage was the discipline years. Years one through five were the discipline years. The next stage was the training years. And training years were five through 12. And then the coaching years were 12 through 18. And then friendship years were 18 on. And this was so helpful to me, especially when our kids were young. And um, I had all three of them at home. Our kids are 20 months apart. So, um, you know, when Andrew was four, we had our third child. Or when he was three and a half, we had our third child. So there were some busy, crazy parenting years. And there were certain days I just thought, I am disciplining all day long. I'd call my mom and say, Mom, I'm so tired. I'm tired of disciplining, you know, all that. And then she's like, sweetheart, this is just a season. This is just a season. And the way this broke down helped me realize this really is just a season. It may be a really exhausting you know, days are long kind of season, but, um, but it's a season. And, and there's some overlap between some of these, the discipline years, the training years, when those are done well, the coaching years, then um, you get to enjoy those friendship years later. Where we saw parents really mess this up is the parents that didn't do this here and they didn't do it very well here because when, as long as the kid's five, six or seven, you can still pick them up and put them in the bed. And then once their kids got too busy, too big to manhandle, then they started disciplining. And you start disciplining here, it's over rover, okay? It is too late. Parenting is done. By the time your kids are 14 or 15, you're done parenting. And if you haven't switched into coaching, it's gonna be conflict city. And so we saw that so many times. And this helped us understand what we had seen in so many Christian families, where families that were just seemingly wonderful just shoved their kids away. And so we realized we have to start here, We've got to be consistent. And because of this, this really is a, an extraordinary That's right. Extraordinary the other thing model. we saw was a lot of times people would want the friendship years too early yep. and that would derail the whole thing. Yeah, you can't be friends with your middle schooler. Mm -hmm, that's okay. right. <laughs> Just remember, later is what? Later longer. is longer. That's later right. is okay. longer. Um, also during that younger season when our, in, in fact, before we even had Andrew, I think we were at dinner with some friends and, um, and I was either pregnant with Andrew or we were moving in that direction. And the other couples were also thinking about parenting, you know, in the, in the near future. And one of the couples at dinner with us already had a couple of small children and, and, um, we had an issue at dinner and their little girl had, I don't even remember what it was, something. And, um, Tag and Lisa Harding were our friends that were with us that already had kids and Tag took their daughter out to go deal with whatever the issue was and he came back and we all just began peppering them with questions Tega and Lisa about okay discipline what do you do what do you not do when do you do it and he said you know what we could wear ourselves out jumping on every little thing with our kids he said so what we did was we decided there are three non-negotiables for disciplining our, disciplining our kids when they are disobedient dishonest or disrespectful those are the three things we don't let go and we there may be other things we pretend like we don't see or we pretend like we don't hear and just let those go dishonesty disobedience disrespect non-negotiable deal with those and that's during those discipline years and during those training years um, you know all of that overlaps and those are just non-negotiables and that helped us so much because you do and for those of you with a bunch of young kids at home it's exhausting to try to stay on top of every little thing now there is a, a for those of you who are maybe not church people or Christian 
are thinking about it, this is really important to know. There really is a biblical framework or context for discipline. It's so interesting that God, Jesus told us that we're to refer to God as our heavenly father. And the New Testament teaches that God disciplines those he loves. But within the context of that, those big statements, there's the gospel. And here's what's so amazing. As Christians, what we have experienced is that God has sided with us against sin. That when we sin, God is grieved. God is grieved because of the consequences we face because of sin. God is grieved because of the scars that we bear because of our sin. God is grieved when we sin. And the cross, Jesus dying for us, is evidence of the fact that God has sided with us against sin and the consequences of sin. Now, this is a big theological thing, but I think it should inform our parenting. And what I mean by that is when our kids are disobedient, when our kids sin against us, when our kids do those things that make us mad, when our kids do those things that make us want to get in their face and feel better about what we said, if we can just remember that as parents, we are to somehow figure out how to side with our children against their disobedience. And and the two words that help me more than anything are these two words right here. Oh, no. Oh, no. If I can just remember to go into, oh, no, then I'm siding with my kids. Oh, no. There are going to be consequences for that. Oh, no. Now we've got to apologize. Oh, no. Now you're going to have to pay back. Oh, no. I'm not mad at you. I'm upset and I'm grieved with you. Now, where you've seen this and where you've done this is if you had little bitty kids, if you ever chastised your kids or disciplined your kids, and then after, you know, maybe they're crying, then you would bring them and hold them in your arms. That was a way of saying, I'm siding with you against the consequences of your disobedience. Well, that idea must be carried all the way through your relationship with your kids as long as they live with you in your home. When they break a rule, if you can, in your mind and heart and emotions, go to the, instead of the anger, and I told you, and you had promised me, and how could you, if you can first go to the, I want to side with you. I want to side with you against the things that I know will ultimately hurt you, the things that are now going to cost you, the things that are going to set us both back because, you know, you broke a rule or you broke the law or whatever it might be. And then ultimately, the other part of this, the disciplining process is really about reestablishing broken relationships. And this is so, so huge. Again, God disciplines those he loves. The cross is evidence of God siding with us against sin. God reestablished a broken relationship with us in spite of our sin. So if you can approach discipline at every stage, at every level, at every age, with the idea of how can I discipline my child in order to restore a broken relationship, this is huge. Now, let me real quick tell you where this becomes harder. When your kids, or when our kids get to middle school and high school years, especially high school years, um, it's very difficult to, to know how to discipline somebody who is as big as you are, okay? Or who can get in a car and drive away. You know, what, what do you do? But we, you know, we still have rules. And so um, this, we grew up watching parents, uh, the only thing they would do with their teenagers is put them on restriction, you know, put them on restriction. That never worked. The kids who were on restriction were always on restriction, and they never got any better. In fact, you know growing up, if your kids' parents put you on restriction, it didn't help. It didn't work. In other words, they put the whole family on restriction. Now none of us can go anywhere, you know. And, and then the only other thing is well, I'm going to take your phone, I'm going to take your computer, I'm going to take your Facebook account, I'm going to take, 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 none of which has anything to do with the offense. And so we really try to stop and say, okay, what can we do with older kids to mend the broken relationship? Not payback, not, you know, I'll teach you to do that again, and there's a place for that, but to mend broken relationships. So we've tried to be very creative, and because you're so smart, I think you can figure that out. 
if you can pause long enough to go to get to that, oh, no place, and then ask yourself the question, what kind of discipline or chastisement would help mend a broken relationship instead of just paying my kids back for something they did that made me angry? Um, a, a recent example is um, not too long ago, one of our sons did something that I felt like was very disrespectful to Sandra, and she felt it too. And after I talked to him, he realized it was as well. I think he knew. And so there was this, this tension, and I didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. I thought, take his car, take his, you know, I just know that has, that doesn't work. That, that's not even connected. That's just me being angry and making him suffer, you know. So I was just praying. I thought, what can I do? And I waited so long, I think Sandra began to feel like, hello. Like, are we not addressing this? And I was just like, you know, and so here's what I did. I went to him and I said, here's, okay, you know, last week I haven't forgotten. And here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask your mother out on a date, take her on a date and pay for it. And he looked at me like, that's it. I said, that's it. I didn't know about it. I had yeah. no idea. But I will tell you, the moment he came to me, so sweet, and asked me to go on a date with him, I melted into a little puddle on the floor. And the broken relationship was reestablished immediately. He didn't even have to follow through and take me out. He did, but he wouldn't have had to. I mean, just his sweet heart of coming to me and saying, hey, Mom, do you want to go on a date with me? Imagine. I mean, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and it was a precious time. We just sat. We didn't even talk when we were having dinner together. We didn't even talk about the issue. We just talked, just talked, and, and it, was, it was a great reestablishment of a broken relationship. So that's... Those are two filters through which to look at um, discipline at every at, at every um, stage of life. Okay, hey, those two words, I just want to make sure we capture them. Oh, no, you know, when your child does something wrong, for you to be able to decide with them and say, oh, no, um, huge changes the whole, uh, whole dynamic, the whole motivation. Again, what's the motivation? It's restoring the broken relationship. Okay, um, Ken, if we could skip to the very last one, that'd be great. Uh, here it is. Uh, Last point, uh, God cares more about where we, are, where you are going than where you've been. Uh, that's kind of one of our statements for D6 parents. God cares more about where we're going than where we've been. I wanted to end with that because um, I just want to encourage you. You might think, wow, I, I've grown a little bit over the last 18 weeks as a parent, but I wish I've grown this much. Um, or maybe you'd say, well, I've grown this much, but I really need to grow this much. This point is saying this, and we talked about that one night. We said, you know what? God cares more about the direction your feet are pointed than the path that you've already walked, right? And so I just want to leave you with that encouragement um, that the fact that you've been here week after week after week um, says a lot about the direction that you're pointing. And so um, anyway, be encouraged. God cares about where you're going much more than where you have been. So um, I hope that was helpful. It was hard to boil down, and um, we could have had like 35 points. Um, but I uh, hope that was, um, again, hope you could take away two or three uh, good things tonight. Hey, let me pray for us just to kind of end our time together on this first year of D6, and uh, then we'll go, to, go ahead and go downstairs. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for tonight. Thank you for these parents, and um, Lord, thank you for the last 18 weeks that you've allowed us to be together. And um, Lord, I think about next year, and God, the things that you'll teach us, and maybe the neighbor that will be able to bring along with us. And um, Lord, just the impact that our children will be able to have in this world as we pour into their hearts on the spiritual front. So God, would you keep these things in front of us? And um, Lord, thank you for this group. Thank you for their willingness to take a risk and try something new. And Lord, thank you for how you've met us with your grace. This is the entire school.
Lord, we love you, and we pray now for the time we'll have together as a family. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen.